in a dark world filled with deceit. One united voice is crying out. Revealing the truth of God's word. It's time to expose the hidden truth. And unravel the lies. While we're living in Satan's little season. With Sister Crystal and Brother Phil. Welcome to Living in Satan's Little Season Show. We're your hosts. Sister Crystal. Brother Phil. Part 2. Are the wicked to be annihilated? Okay, last week we talked about... The wicked, are they going to, is there an annihilation going to happen? Are they going to be completely wiped out, destroyed, um, done for, gone forever? And this is kind of a, a doctrine that's really been cropping up in our churches lately because they see a lot of these words that are used in the Bible that seem to indicate this. Right. And the one that we're talking about today is, what's that word again? Apolumi. Which, you know, is translated in our Bibles a lot of places to utterly or destroy. Okay. Fully. fully, fully, fully destroy. Just to review, Matthew chapter 10. And do not fear those who kill the body, but can kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So this idea that destroy the, 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 the soul and the body in hell. Okay. Well, and this I is, think that's what probably led the, the misconception that hell is a a Cons- real yeah. a real consuming fire. The idea that he can destroy the soul and the body in hell, meaning this is going to be consuming, it's going to be a real fire. And that's not the case. It's the idea though that it is a torment that they that lake of fire is not a all-consuming fire, but the idea that you're not completely destroyed and we covered this before that you know we know that who the the three baddies are going to be in the lake of fire and of course and that's a non-consuming fire right yeah we already studied about that so satan yeah the beast and the false prophet there might be some evil humans out there and in history and what the idea that if god punishes those who are bad and throughout history like you know satan is that he doesn't completely destroy him in the lake of fire. He just puts him there for all to, eternity. Well, to be tormented, and the idea it's a torment. In other words, right. a torment is not you're not being tortured. It's more of this like you don't really want to be there. It's something it's, you don't really want to go through. But this life to us as the believer is of torment. Well, but the idea so, though that he doesn't destroy Satan. So even when it's... It's worded here in our scriptures that something something can be destroyed. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will be to the point where it doesn't exist anymore. I think the whole point to God's punishment and correction and discipline and in all of our lives, if not here during our life on earth or in the next 
wherever we go, if it's inside New Jerusalem or outside. The idea is he wants us to learn and reproach and be retaught and renewed and not be left to everyone is in God's eye is um, can be rescued, can be um, renewed and replenished. No one is beyond hope. And these words here, this word here used to use destroy here. We're going to go in and we're going to talk. We're going to start off talking in Luke chapter 15. There's three parables. Mm -hmm. And this word is used in all three of these parables. And anybody who's been in the church any amount of time knows these three parables. And they're all right in a row because that's how Luke does it. He puts these parables all in a row. The first one's a parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus is saying, what if you have a hundred sheep and if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Well, that word lost, same exact word. Right. But you don't think of that word as being destroyed because how can you find a destroyed sheep? See, <laughs> this is why they translate, these translators translate this word to where, yeah, it sounds bad. Oh, God's able to destroy. Well, yeah, but this word's also used to describe a lost sheep as well that the Jesus is trying to go after and trying to find. Right. And, of course, the next parable is, what's that? The parable of the... Lost coin. And that's the same way, right? The parable of the lost coin, same situation. The coin was lost. It wasn't destroyed. It wasn't a destroyed coin. Right. But that's... See... That's how why they, the translators they translate it certain ways. Oh, mm -hmm. that word's destroyed. Other times they'll translate it as lost. And of course, we all know the parable. Anybody who's been in the church any amount of time knows the parable of the prodigal son. Right. Because that's the one of the more famous parables that most people who go to church any amount of time would know about. And of course, same with that one. Well, it's also called the lost son because he went away to his own devices and doing his own way, and then he was lost, but then he was found. Yeah, he, he came back home. He he went off in wild and crazy living, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 decided to to go off the obedience of the father and do his own thing. And of course, right. when when he came back, the father said that you know your brother was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. See that word "lost" <laughs> again? That same exact word here, but they, they wouldn't translate that "destroyed." See. Why? Because he's back. See, he that's the same word here used to describe this lost son that came back into the fold. So what I'm trying to explain to you is just because you see this word in the Bible and these translators are translated as destroyed, that doesn't actually mean to, always mean destroyed. Well, the idea in the definition of the word is that it's literally or figuratively now, we, in the English language, will say, well, figuratively speaking, which meaning not exact, not completely true and accurate, but it's it could be either, the literal or the figurative. So, maybe in the figurative form, they're saying that these items, lost items, were actually kind of, not just lost, but they were, in essence, they weren't really destroyed, but they, they weren't where they belonged, and then, but they were found. So a little bit later on in Luke, Jesus and we all and, and people have been in the church long enough and they know this story of Zacchaeus, <laughs> the tax collector that Jesus meets right. in Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read a little bit of that scripture because the same word mm. is you get this. The same word is used to describe Zacchaeus. Mm. Jesus uses this word 
to describe Zacchaeus as being at the past destroyed, but now he's no longer destroyed. See, that's why the, the word is not a good translation of the word destroyed. You see how this word's used all over the place, and you see, no, this doesn't mean destroyed. This just means this person's lost, uh, and he gonna... needs to be found again. He needs to come back. He's, he, he was a rebel, and now he's coming back into the fold. I'm just going to interject here and say, maybe what the whole idea about the figuratively for the destruction is the path they were on was leading to destruction. You know, like the but path yeah, of the prodigal son and, and the path that Zacchaeus was, was going down before they had a change of heart. It was a path of destruction. It would have led them to a when, separation. Well, according to the prodigal, it says he was lost. So he was destroyed. So, But we wouldn't say the word destroyed because no. that word is not a good word in English because that he wasn't destroyed. He, he can't be destroyed if he, can come, if, if he has a possibility of coming back. Right, but the path he was yeah. on was leading to destruction. That, you know, if he stayed on that path and he hadn't had a change... It would have. He would have stayed a, on. You know, in other words, he would have stayed on a path that was. He was always going to be consistent, lost forever. But he. But there's always a chance for that person to come back. See, the redemption. That's all yeah. about. The, the word is all about redemption. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 19, verse 9. And this is about what Jesus stated about mm -hmm. Zacchaeus. Go ahead and read that one. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, that same word here, otherwise translated as destroy, it, he's describing Zacchaeus as that he was a, the, the loss that has been found mm. now. See? Uh, you know, again, I'm just trying to... I'm trying to push this through so we understand what this word means. Now that we understand what this word means, we're going to go to one of the most, I would say, the most famous mm -hmm. passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And I'm going to show you this uh, This word is used here as well. Who doesn't know John 3.16? Who does not know John 3.16? We all know this Scripture. Most of us know it by heart. We've been in the church any amount of time. You know this, you know this Scripture. The point is, we're going to read a little bit before John 3.16 and read what Jesus is talking about when it comes to why he discussed this, this idea. Of course, this isn't a direct quote from Christ. No. John, believe it or not, even though we see, those, if you have a red letter Bible, <laughs> and this is, I'm, I thought about doing a show called The, the Problem with John 3.16, but mm -hmm. I, I, I'll just bring it up here a little bit. John 3.16 is an exact quote from Christ. Right. It is a commentary that the author, John, said about who Christ was. Right. He was basically, he went off on like a commentary about who Christ is. A description. Yeah. Or just, a description of who he was as being the son of God and all this other stuff and what he came to do and all that. Mm -hmm. It was not, a, Jesus didn't say these words directly, at least as far as we know, because we can tell by the way the language is that it was John talking about who Christ was. We're going to read, let's go ahead and start a couple verses up. John three 14. Let's go ahead and read that one. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, and so that's the famous John 3.16, right? Mm -hmm. But now we see that that word that they translate perish, guess what word that is? The same exact, it's a lost sheep. So that, that sounds a lot different than should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, he should not be lost. Because other, mostly these other places, that word is describing a lost sheep. This is what Jesus is describing here. This makes John 3.16 sound a lot different now, doesn't it? That's why I'm saying translators can translate these words any way they want. And what I'm doing on this show is I'm exposing how this word gets translated in other places and showing you, well, wait a minute now. We kind of understand what this word means by how it gets translated all these other places. Why are they translating it this way, more well, stringent over here? It makes sense that it's it's translated correctly for certain passages, but not correctly in other passages. That if it does mean lost, well, it fits those most of those ones. But if it it doesn't, if it means destroyed, then it doesn't fit those ones. So it seems like there's a high to low frequency of where this word falls through, and, and it can mean you know destroy, which is on the high end, or low end would be lost or you know to lose something. Okay, so let's read John three sixteen. And put in the idea that instead of the word using the word perished, using let's use the word lost instead. Okay. Let's try that here. Okay, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not be lost, but have eternal life. Mm -hmm. See, they could have translated it that way. In other words, if you believe in him, you're not going to be lost. See, the people that don't believe in Jesus, guess what? Well, guess what they are? They're lost. Right. They're lost souls. Oh, yeah. Yes. Most people in this world, unfortunately, they're lost souls today because they don't put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Right. And that's essentially what John 3.16 was saying. But that word perished makes it sound like destroyed because that's that, that, that word was used to destroy other places. So in other words, you could say that whoever believes in him should not be destroyed but have everlasting. You see, but we know that the majority of the places this word is used, it seems to indicate this idea of a lost soul. Somebody who's not found, not among the, the sheep, not among the, the, the herd mm -hmm. of Christ. I'm just trying to get this idea through everybody's minds, this idea that we read these scriptures and we think we know what these things are saying, but all of a sudden now it's like, well, wait a minute now, that's kind of a different way of looking at things. Because I think that God doesn't want anybody lost. Right. As a matter of fact, everyone eventually, I think, are, is God's plan is for everyone, remember, every knee. It's going to bow. Right. And every tongue will confess eventually. So even these lost sheep, this lost coin or these lost son, like the parable yeah. was before in Luke that we just read, those people eventually are going to come back. It's not a matter of if, it's when, but it's like, just like how Satan, the, the devil, was yeah. cast into the yes. lake of fire, but he wasn't destroyed why would God destroy anybody? If he was going to destroy one being, it would be the devil. Right. Because he's worse than anybody. Right. And if he's not doing that to the devil, why would he do that to any one of us? Mm -hmm. Or any person on earth that is being deceived by the devil? Well, I think or deceived by his ways? I think it's because God knows there's redeeming qualities in all of us. And maybe he even sees it in the devil. I don't know. But the idea is there are no lost causes with God. Not one. Right. And... Yeah, something can be lost, but it's not completely lost because God, there's hope for him. What he always tries to show us is that there's always hope. 
and that's encouraging because for something to be lost, I mean, we've all probably lost something like car keys or our wallets or an important document or I don't know what, you know, we've all misplaced things and you get in this panic mode like, oh, I've lost it. Like uh, you're afraid you're never going to find it. But the idea is nothing is completely lost with God because he knows where everything's at. See, I love that. Now let's go to John 17 verse 12. And this is what Jesus is talking to his disciples about well, no one hears about the lost. Again, he uses this word again in, in John right. John 17, verse, verse 12. Go ahead and read that one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He actually uses that word twice. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not. And there's two... <laughs> this is why these translators love to translate things in a certain way. Again, he uses words... Jesus is praying here that, you know, about his disciples that, you know, hey, none of them, none of my disciples have been lost. And that word lost is exactly that same word that we're mm -hmm. talking about here. I, that, the word that's used destroyed other places, but here it's where use the word lost. Except the son of perdition. That, the word perdition, again, another phrase they use to describe the exact same Greek word. Lopalumi. Lost. Exactly. But of course here they use a totally different word. <laughs> See, so Judas essentially was the son of the lost. So I'm just trying to bring this up because a lot of times these things sound ominous when we hear these words. Oh, he's a son of perdition. Oh, that's that's terrible. But people don't even really know what that word means. It's like they use these word phrases and they're thinking, oh, these are really bad. And then it's like, well, they are bad, but they're just phrases that you use throughout the Bible. And we just don't always understand them. Right. So again, Jesus didn't lose anyone except for the son of the lost. That's what he says here. Which is son of perdition, which is we know it's Judas Iscariot here right. by implication. Judas Iscariot was the lost sheep that went out of the fold, essentially. Right, but there's Which, hope for him as well. That I think every knee is going to bow, <laughs> so he's going to bow eventually. Right. So you know, obviously, he was got deceived, and you know, by the devil, maybe he was. Well, he was part of the plan. Yeah, we but, needed. They needed someone, but you know, even Peter had his issues, but he was redeemed, you know, and he came back. But that's the whole idea: is that even when something looks like it's hopeless. And that there's no, no way out. There's always a way out. God is our way out. And turning to him and knowing that he can redeem, resurrect, resuscitate any life that's gone backwards. No, that's the hope and the joy that we have in knowing God. And what he is the best at, at reviving things that are dead. And the next one we're going to go to is Paul talks a little bit about this. Of course, you know, I, when Paul discusses these things, the translators have to really just, you know, we're going to go all out. Because <laughs> Paul's discussing in First uh, Thessalonians his Christ's return, mm -hmm. his judgment upon his coming, which we know happened in 70 AD when he came, you know, and he judged the world with justice. And, you know, he, he came kicking butt and taking names. We know that. Okay, so we're going to read 2 Thessalonians, verses 9 and 10. And here that word is used again. Of course, here they translate the word an ominously everlasting destruction. They have to use that word destruction. 
Again, see, these translators can translate these words anyway, but we know through these other passages of scripture we just read, it's not exactly what that is, but this sounds a lot more ominous. Right. When it comes to, oh, Christ is going to judge the nations with everlasting destruction. And we're like, oh, man, that sounds bad. Go ahead and read that one here. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Okay, so here, you know, he's talking about Christ's second coming. Of course, we we know that already transpired and already took place. But again, it, the, the these translators can make this sound of course everlasting is means an age they always use the word everlasting to mean age, like an age, an age to come or whatever. So in other words, they're going to be punished. Okay. Everlasting means final. That's what that word means. Everlasting word is, is it, we a lot of times use the word to describe a final. Mm-hmm. They're not going to change his ways. They're going to be punished finally with and, and be lost. Because of, you know, their disobedience, essentially. That's what these people were. Again, I'm just trying to just get you to understand, sometimes these words get translated in a way that, and it's all based on the biases of a lot of these translators that show up. And this is what we have happen. Now let's move on to 2 Peter chapter 3. And go ahead and read that one. Verses 5 and 6. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and earth standing out of water in the water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Okay, so again, that word perished, same word. See, you notice how many different English words they use to translate the same mm-hmm. Greek word? Yeah. All these different words. Here's the word perish. Sometimes it's destroyed. Sometimes it's word perdition, lost. They use all these different words, and you... Of course, as English, you know, readers, we're not making the connection that now this is all to talk about the same definition of a word. A lot of these translators, again, they're not consistent with their translations, and so all I do, I'm exposing on this show, is why don't you be a little more consistent with your translation work? Because honestly, you're translating with a single Greek word that the original reader would have read the same exact word in all these places. Right. Yet us as English readers, we're reading all these different words. And, and sometimes they sound a lot more ominous in other places. Right. Okay, depending on how they're translated. It almost sounds like they want us to be a little more fearful of the, to- the, the passage, considering that he could destroy both the body and the soul in hell, So, but the lost items were not completely destroyed. So it almost seems like there's, there's evoking a little warning or concern. That makes sense that they want people to be aware of the the high intensity situation here. But on the other hand, it should be more, you know, accurately described so that it doesn't mislead anyone. Well, we're going to go to another word that's used because here there's another word that also people have used to say, oh no, these people are going to be, and a lot of times this word's translated in English, utterly destroyed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not even, it's even worse than the last one we went to. You know, we, we use the word destroyed. Now this one's translated sometimes utterly destroyed okay that sounds even more ominous doesn't it and this is why the devil is always in the details and that's why i always say this is what i look i, I i'm looking at the devil right in his eyes i'm going i'm going to discover the details of these things because this is how it works 
This word utterly destroyed. But what's that word exactly in the Greek? What what word is that one? Exo othrio. Okay, you know, I, I'm not really good at these Greek words. I just <laughs> can look them up and go, okay, how is this word used in places in the Bible? And of course, Psalm 92, verse 7. Okay, we're going to read that passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. And this is speaking about the wicked. Okay, and you want to go ahead and read Psalm 92, verse 7 there. When the sinners spring up as the grass, and all the workers of iniquity have watched, it is that they may be utterly destroyed forever. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, utterly destroyed. That's even worse. That means they definitely are. That, that has to mean they're definitely wiped out Completely forever. Completely gone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's no way you're coming back from utterly destroyed forever <laughs> if you're a wicked person. Right. See, here's, again, this is how these translators do it. They translate these words, and then, of course, we're going to discover that it doesn't exactly mean what we think it means. So now we're going to read the first place this word is used in the Bible. Okay. And this is in Exodus during one of the ten plagues on, mm-hmm. on Egypt. And we all remember, if you remember, watch the Ten Commandments or mm-hmm. any of his movies, you remember the story of, of Moses coming down and putting these ten plagues on Egypt. Well, God did the plagues, but he, yeah. Moses was the tool in which God used. Yeah, God them. used Moses to, to pronounce these ten plagues upon right. Egypt during that time. And one of the plagues was the plague of flies. And we're going to read this here because this word here is used to describe what happened to the land after these flies ravaged it. Okay, so go ahead and read Exodus chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. And I will put a difference between my people and your people. And tomorrow shall, be, shall this be on the land. And the Lord did this. And the dog fly came in abundance into the houses of Pharaoh and into the houses of his servants and into the land of Egypt. And the land was destroyed by the dog fly. Okay, so that word destroyed, again, the same word they use, utterly destroyed. But we kind of understand that. The land wasn't, you know, completely wiped out because I'm sure it just, the flies just ravaged and probably ate all the crops and, you know, everything was just kind of just completely Mm -hmm. gone at this point. But the land was still there. Okay. And, of course, things could grow back afterwards, but it just it, the land just got pretty ravaged by these things. And that's kind of the way this word is described here. Right. But we understand that to mean that, well, the land wasn't, like, desolate to where you could never grow anything on that land again. We, we understand that that's not really what he's meaning here by this. So I'm gonna go, We're going to go through another place this word is mentioned. And it seems like this next word is phrase is really used the word to describe what this thing is Mm -hmm. okay here in exodus chapter 12 eating leaven okay it has to do with leaven there's a lot of laws that they had in the land and so one of them was leaven because let's go ahead and read read this one because this word's used here go ahead seven days leaven shall not be found in your houses whosoever shall eat anything leavened that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of israel both among the occupiers of the land and the original inhabitants. So, again, that word utterly destroyed here that we read in the other passage, same word here is to use the word cut off. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, that's, and that, wait a minute, that's a lot different, okay? In other words, if you don't go, go along with no leaven during this week, you're, you're going to get cut off from your people. We don't, we're, you're, you could go somewhere else. You don't want to be part of us, so you're, you're cut off. That's kind of the way this word is described here. So in other words, that's not what we would consider to, as English speakers, 
utterly destroyed. In other words, you're killed and wiped out, and your your bones and your body's been completely, <laughs> you know, um, burned down to, to to nothing. To ash. Ash. That's not what that means. It just means that if you don't want to go along with what we're saying here and the laws of Moses here, especially this law of eleven, then you're just going to get cut off. Those people can come back eventually if they right. change their ways. Right. So a person who's cut off just means that you're not among the group anymore. And we know in Leviticus, this this actually word is used extensively in Leviticus and Numbers mm-hmm. in a lot of places. And this is describing people that marry in such a way that, you know, like if you marry your sister, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to read the passage scripture. I'll just kind of basically highlight it for you. But you can look it up for yourself in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. Whoever should take his sister by his father or mother, you know, in other words, if somebody marries his sister, then those people are to be cut off from their people. That's kind of what it said. But we understand what that means. It doesn't mean that they're to be, we're going to kill you because you did that. It's, no, you're going to be cast out from among our, our, our assembly because you're not going along with the laws that God set down. Same thing in Numbers chapter 9. You want to go to read Numbers 9, 13 there. And whatsoever man shall be clean and is not far off on a journey and shall fail to keep the Passover, that soul should be cut off from the people because he has not offered the gift to the Lord in its season. The man shall bear his iniquity. So in other words, here's a guy that he's not, uh, he hasn't been deemed unclean because unclean people weren't allowed to, 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 right. do, set, to do the, the Passover feast. But this guy was able, he was deemed clean, he could do the Passover feast, but he just kind of like, no, I'm not really interested in following that. So those people, it says here, are to be cut off. See, they use the word cut off. See, same exact word, but the same word that used the word utterly destroy, it's just using the word cut off here. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're to be cut off from the people. You don't want to go along with, with doing the Passover like everybody else is doing, you're going to get cut off. Same thing. Well, I'm just trying to get you to understand these words... We think that we understand what these words mean because they're in our Bibles. That's why I'm saying the Bible doesn't teach annihilation anywhere because you're reading here all these passages of Scripture, and I'm giving you example after example after example that it it doesn't seem to indicate this. Another example here, and this is one that we're going to go with, Deuteronomy chapter 20. This word's used here to describe cutting down a tree. Okay, now go ahead and read that one. Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. And if you should besiege a city many days to prevail against it, by war to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by applying an iron tool to them, but you shall eat of it and shall not cut it down. Is the tree that is in the field a man to enter before you into the work of the siege? So again, they use the word, you don't have to cut down this. See, that's why I really think this word here, is, instead of translated utterly destroy, should be translated cut off or cut down. Mm-hmm. Because here it's describing the way you do to a tree, and that's the way tree, you do to trees. You cut them down, right? You cut down the tree. And this is exactly how it's described here. So this word, again, very bad. Tra- some of these translators translate these words mm-hmm. in such a way to where it just seems like it's it's over and done with. You're gone. You can't. There's no coming back from that. When with God, it's not that way. In conclusion, I just want us to just we're doing this show only because I want you guys to understand the Bible doesn't teach this idea that the wicked are going to be just wiped out and 
utterly destroyed, killed, destroyed, n- n- no chance of coming back. They're never going to enter the assembly again. I believe there's hope yes. for every single person, no matter how wicked they are, whether it be in this life or the next, that they are going to bow their knee and they are going to come back. God's not going to leave anybody out in the lurches. That's the reason why God didn't even destroy the devil and all the wickedness. He did his reign of terror for 7,000 years. Right. And honestly, some of the baddies in history, you know, we talked about that. Wars and whatnot that countries have had to face evil men throughout society through the years and centuries. These men were probably even influenced, I would have to say, by Satan or an evil kind of spirit because you know yeah man can be evil on his own but and could be also persuaded to be evil by an evil force but the idea is it doesn't matter how evil someone is deemed in our society or deemed even you know god does punish people for their sins and their um, behaviors but again he's also redeeming god a god of love and he can restore things and if people have a heart of change, which I think people innately want to be changed. They don't want to stay evil or broken or unable to be redeemed. I think they want to be redeemed. I think people innately want to have a right relationship with God. Well, is it either in this life or is it in the next in whether or not they have to go through a punishment before they do redeem or or become redeemed? God has a plan and purpose for every person. The ones that make the decision now for Christ, we're going to receive not only our you know eternal life, which we're, that's what we're really going for, we're going to also receive an inheritance that these other people are never going to receive. Because right. we're, we're, we're going to have an inheritance, remember, never going to get taken away from us. And that's essentially what we're going for, an eternal inheritance by us surviving and thriving during this time of wickedness and evil. God is going to reward us greatly. For our over, us being overcomers. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to do. Because we're living in a deep and dark age of yeah. Satan's little season now, 2.0. Okay. Not only because it's biblical. But because it's the only thing that makes sense. Join or contact us at satanslittleseason.org. This is a non-copyright, living in Satan's little season production.